Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined along as always by my brothers, Michael Kuhn. Hello. And Matthew Kuhn. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) So directly after the uh, disappointing Jets game, me and Matthew got a chance to talk to our grandfather, who had some comments on his recent disappointment. Now, I'd like to take this time to uh, put in a disclaimer that there is some explicit language and some explicit content but this is the views of a browns fan for over 50 years so i think we can all sympathize with his thoughts if you're sensitive to this kind of content just go ahead and skip ahead about two minutes come on grandpa hello hello hey grandpa it's matthew how are you I've been better, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. I think. Um, what do you think about the What do you think about the Browns? Well, they used to. They were always a team that couldn't stop the run. Uh, they did a pretty good job on stopping the run today. Their secondary sucks because uh, they're making they're making. McCollin looked like a like a goddamn pro bowler. That horse's ass. They dumped the Browns dumped because he was no damn good. And then they come to get, comes and plays against the Browns and make him look like a pro bowler. And uh, you know they, they, you can't you can't fumble the ball away twice in the red zone on, on the inside the five yard line. Uh, it's just it's, it's been it's been horrible, you know. No. I, I, huh. No, no, you can't at all. That's crazy, and and we also we also gave the ball away in the red zone that one time when we didn't when we went for uh, when we went for it on fourth down. We lost it that then too. Yeah, because that, because that, that goddamn Gonzalez can't kick with his shift. That's why they went for it, probably. Yeah, can't even make a thirteen yard <laughs> field goal. This is what makes it that we're about as good as him making the field goal. Yeah, you know? and he can't kick. He can't kick. Got to run him out of town on a rail. <laughs> and uh, and that Garrett, he 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 was almost a non-factor. I didn't see him do a hell of a lot, you know. And and, and this and this Crowell, you know, he he he, he, he fumbled fumbled that little uh, inside inside handoff on the five-yard line. That was another touchdown pissed away, uh, you know. And uh, Gonzalez Mills. Missed, missed two field goals, you know, they had to shoot the son of a bitch. I don't, I don't see last week. <laughs> last week, he didn't make any. Put him down. <laughs> Just take well, him out the they, field. Just sh- show, show some mercy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, second disclaimer, I want to go ahead and put it out there that my grandpa does not condone actual gun violence towards bad NFL kickers. <laughs> uh, it's just a good thing he doesn't own a gun. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is. He 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 has strong feelings. I will say that for sure. He was he was very into the horse metaphors in this whole conversation. <laughs> there were there were multiple mentions of horses asses and like shooting a racehorse and like, like different things. I don't know what was going on in his head. Maybe he'd come back from the track or something. So can we respond to Grandpa's comments about the game? I think there's a few things that we actually agreed with, a few things we might not have agreed with in his sentiments there um, immediately following the game. 
I know for one, um, his complaints about our past defense seem to be a little uh, ill-founded. Yeah, I agree. McCourty is the number two ranked cornerback in all of the NFL from pro football focus throughout the first five weeks of the NFL. So, Yeah, from my view, um, we bit on that pass um, to the corner, obviously, that uh, McCown burned us for the touchdown. But other than that, it was just Austin Safarian Jenkins being six foot eight, and we couldn't guard him because our guys just aren't six foot eight. And we were in the right position, but we just had no chance. And I also yeah, think I what... thought Grandpa was spot on that we have good run defense. I completely agree with that. And there were a couple plays where we made Josh McCown look a little bit better than he actually is. But by and large, we held we held the Jets to just about nothing on offense uh, throughout the day. Dominated them throughout the first half. They had the the fact that they were beating us at halftime was the most absurd Browns thing I've ever seen. They had like a few first downs. And we completely shut them down offensively the entire time. They had a, a, a decent drive of like, what, 30 yards or something to get that 57-yard field goal right before the half. I, it was I, two passes. Yeah, it was two it was passes. Nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. It was so quick. <laughs> and then um, we're losing 3-0 at halftime when we, we dominate the game. That first half is actually like laughable to realize that we put zero points on the board. <laughs> Like it's so hard to fathom that we could be down there ready to score on four different occasions, and we came away with absolutely zero points. Yeah, so I made the comment when we were watching the game. I I I don't know if there's any Browns fans out there who are listening to our podcast who don't have are out of network and only watch on the Red Zone channel. But if you do, I'm so sorry. Your opinion of this team is terrible because you only see the shitty plays and the turnovers every single week. Every time they cut to the Browns, Kaiser's throwing an interception or we're fumbling or something's happening. I, I, just please watch the highlights on online. There's tons of good things about this team, those viewers. Literally, my own personal hell would be just watching the Browns on the Red Zone channel. <laughs> it's some, it's some kind of personal hell. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. So um, I was trying to come up with some like positive things to say about the Browns and excuses to make for them for how terrible they've been this season. And I took a look at the um, – the turnover differential and where we rank as far as turnovers go in this game in this season. We have 13 total turnovers this season, which outranks any other team by two whole points by two whole turnovers. Wow. Well, Deshaun Kaiser has five of those turnovers to your point, Matthew are in the red zone. Five of the 13 turnovers we have on the season are in the red zone. Yeah. It's been awful. Well, well, we've did, had a few takeaways ourselves, but our differential still is last in the league at minus seven. Yeah, well, when your quarterback uh, through these first few games, Deshaun Kaiser, is leading the league in interceptions, that's just the way that's just the way it shakes out with nine. And he also has a few fumbles himself. Uh, Crowell, I don't know whose uh, fault that pitch was. It seemed like it was a equally mutually both their fault. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser put it a little bit out in front of him, but Crowell seems like he could have caught it. Uh, yeah, I think it was Kaiser's fault. I think both players would probably take a little bit of the blame for it. I mean, but it wasn't a great team, pitch. But Kaiser took blame for it in the postgame press conference and said he needs to do better. Yeah, which is good. Here's you want to see like, that out of your later. If you watch 
him on that play, he looked so uncomfortable. He pitched like, it with like his right. Happened. I think he pitched it with his right hand when and he was going left. It was very bizarre. Like I I couldn't see it very well on the replay I was watching, but it didn't look normal. Like the step and pitch. If you remember the remember the Titan scene, like where, yeah. where <laughs> Stage and Sunshine had to make the pitch. Uh, or no, it wasn't Sunshine. It was Rev who couldn't make the pitch. Sunshine. It was not fundamental football. Well, I mean, it was the right play. So if you listen to the press conference, he audibled into that play. It was a cover zero situation. He made the right audible. If he had actually completed the pitch, he probably gets a touchdown. Yeah, it would have been great. The play was setting up perfectly. It was the right play. And then he gets into the spot and he just rushes it like there wasn't even a defender right in his face and he rushes it and forces it out of his hand and it just didn't make any sense and it so what we've kind of seen from Kaiser in the last couple of weeks is he seems uncomfortable yeah like i it was so weird it seems like he's been regressing as the weeks go on i just don't know what to think of this whole situation well i think a big part of it is the pressure put on him by the browns fans like no one is cutting him even the slightest bit of slack He's on a bad team. There's not a lot of talent around him. His wide receivers aren't giving him any help. His he's he's learning week to week. Like as far as like the original criticism was that he was taking too many sacks. He's not doing that anymore. He's getting better, but he is inconsistent with his throws. And I think it he doesn't feel comfortable. And I think a big part of it is that he's losing confidence, which is partially the media's fault, partially the Browns fans' fault, and that people aren't giving him even the slightest bit of break. Mary Kay Cabot tweeted right after the game um, uh, just a video of Deshaun Kaiser's press conference, and it was a, a edited clip of him saying, I pitched the ball and Isaiah Crowell didn't make the catch. When immediately after that, he says, it wasn't a very good pitch and I need to do better. And Mary Kay just talked about like saying that he didn't take any credit for it or any blame. And it's just like, it's like that's just the stuff that you don't do to a rookie quarterback. You, as a community, you surround him and you build him up and you help him. You don't drive him into the ground and tell him he's trash, right? So I actually I very intentionally went and listened to the post game press conference for Deshaun Kaiser, and I was actually pretty happy with what I saw. Like he was definitely upset. He was pretty short and direct, but not disrespectful in any of his comments but he clearly was upset at his performance and took credit or really was like accepting the blame in the situations where he needed to accept the blame and was seemed completely comfortable with Hugh Jackson's decision now that doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with Hugh Jackson making the call to cut him at halftime I don't know what do you guys think well do you think that moving on to Kevin Hogan was the right call well I think I think it's a if you're talking about productivity in the team right now, I think there's two different debates you can look at it from. If you're talking about if the team's trying to win this week against the Jets, which obviously is a lot of people's mindset, is win right now, let's get a win on the board. And then you you look at their statistics. They both played exactly one half of football. Deshaun Kaiser went 8 for 17 for 87 yards, zero touchdowns, and an interception. Kevin Hogan went 16 for 19, an 84% completion percentage, 194 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Like, just from the numbers standpoint, our second half was way more productive with Kevin Hogan behind center throwing the ball. He looked more comfortable back there. It, timing in routes, it seemed like he just 
maybe that's a product of him being a second-year guy. But if you're talking about productivity of the team right now, I think that it was the right decision because Kevin Hogan did better. But there's also the argument to say, we're trying to see who can be our franchise quarterback for years into the future. And I think we need to see if that's Deshaun Kaiser because personal belief, I don't think it's Kevin Hogan. I don't think he has the arm strength to do it, him, like just make yeah, it in ceiling. the NFL. His ceiling's the too ceiling low. For, the ceiling for Kevin Hogan is not there like it is for Deshaun Kaiser. Exactly. There's no doubt about it. So uh, it, it depends on how you frame the argument. That's what I'm saying. So, But I think if you look at why Hugh made this decision, I think that Hugh saw an opportunity to, to win a game. I mean, it was three to nothing at halftime. Kaiser didn't have his best game. He was responsible for two turnovers in the red zone. He'd missed a couple throws. I think he was just trying to win this game. I don't think it was any bigger than that. He was saying, our defense is dominating. Yeah. We just need to run the ball, get a couple points. We need to win this game because this team needs a little bit of confidence. I wouldn't Here's be surprised if Kaiser starts the game next week. That's a good question. Because yeah. I think – that it wasn't anything bigger than just let's try to win this game because that's Hugh Jackson's job on a Sunday is just to try win to win games. The game. How, okay, Matt, how I, what do you think the outlash would be if Deshaun Kaiser started next game? Like how many Browns fans would be so pissed? Before we get there, yeah. Before we get there, I complete. I I just don't agree. Like I have a longer term view on this, and I think Kaiser didn't really have that terrible of a first half. Like he made two bad plays. In the red zone, that cost us a bunch of points. He missed throws. But even if, like, let's just think about this. Like, plays that didn't have anything to do with Deshaun Kaiser, if those two field goals go in, do you think that the Browns move to a different quarterback in the second half? I don't think so. I think they stick with Deshaun Kaiser because we have the lead or we're tied. Maybe if just one of those field goals goes in. And he's doing okay. He had a bad pitch, which could have honestly been caught by the running back. And he made a really bad play on third down and goal on that pass to Seth DeValve that was that was picked. He, but he, we know that's going to happen with a rookie quarterback. He needs confidence. Like, he was moving the ball just fine with a bunch of inexperienced wide receivers. And I think he needs a couple wins, and he needs the win under his belt. In my opinion, like, that's more important to me than whether we get a W or not. And I'm concerned about what he's – how it's going to – you know, affect his psyche going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. We don't want to ruin Deshaun Kaiser, and that should be like, I think that Deshaun Kaiser has the potential to be our quarterback of the future if he gains some consistency. But he did miss a lot of throws. It wasn't just those interceptions. It, wa- it wasn't just the interception in the pitch. Like Even he, throws he, that were completed, he was throwing low, low and away, away where receivers had to – go to the ground to because catch he, him because he's afraid he's afraid of throwing interceptions which i think almost plays into your argument michael of that he's playing afraid and that we need to give him more confidence and that we need to support him even more i'm, I'm with you there i i don't think that kevin hogan's our quarterback of the future and if kevin hogan plays the rest of the season then we're drafting a quarterback number one right like but i think we need to give see if deshaun kaiser can do it first give him the shake like, if he can't, then whatever. We're bad again this year, and we still have five picks in the first two rounds. And So here's here's my question on this quarterback debate. Like, I want to know what you guys think or what you want to have play out going forward. We got three games before our bye week. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to start next week and the subsequent weeks at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? I mean, my answer is simple. I don't care what the results are. I want Kaiser to start the all the remaining – 11 games of the season. 
It doesn't sound like that's what Hugh Jackson's going to do, though. Like, all indications. I mean, we're recording this on Monday night, and everything I'm seeing is pointing towards Kevin Hogan starting. He basically said, I want to look at the tape and see what we're looking at. And if you're looking at the tape and you see the stats that Mark just spouted off a couple minutes ago, Hogan was the better quarterback. Yeah. He was, but he also missed, like, in joke, Najoku, sorry. Sorry, Chief. Come on, Matthew. Um, Najoku. <laughs> Um, it's really easy to say. Figure it out. I know, right? Um, Chief Njoku um, made Kevin Hogan look a little better than he was. Both of those great catches by Njoku, I think, were really close to being missed throws by Hogan, where he overthrew him. The the second one, where he dove double-handed over the middle, was going to be a pick to Adams. He was setting up yeah, for the you're... pick, and Njoku made an unbelievable play to lay out and catch that. I mean, if those are missed... To your point, like there's just little margins where things look a little different if the ball falls a different way. Like Kevin Hogan then has two interceptions, no touchdowns. We lose by a lot. Suddenly looks a lot different. So this is my biggest thing with Kevin Hogan is he doesn't really have the arm strength that you would want to for a week-in, week-out NFL starter. Or arm talent, whatever you want to call it. Arm strength. <laughs> some, some, some might call it arm talent, right, Michael? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm speaking specifically of arm strength in this instance. And he gets excited, and we saw it in the interception that he had. He had some pressure, and he tried to force a pass. He saw what he needed to do, but light. he wasn't able to yep. physically do it. Like, he tried to force a ball in there, and it resulted in the pick, which gave them their first touchdown. Like, that sort of thing's just going to happen over and over again. And I think we're going to see the warts come out even more if he's the um, if he's our starter going forward. Now, with that said... I think that what is um, probably the best situation is to give Deshaun Kaiser a minute to breathe. I'm okay if they go with Kevin Hogan for the next few starts leading into the bye week. Give Deshaun Kaiser a second to step back and breathe. He's been in there. He's had some reps. And then go with him for the second half of the season and go with the final eight starts. That's enough of a sample size for me. Yeah, what I I want to happen with the starting quarterback position is not – try to win as many games as we possibly can which obviously if we have a chance to make the playoffs which we clearly don't at this point that's what i would want but i want to figure out definitively in this season which is thing is what we did with cody kessler last year is deshaun kaiser going to be a viable option for us as quarterback at quarterback moving forward and however we have to do that i think that's what we need to do and i think that's what hughes focus should be i think that's what the front office's focus is but whether Hugh follows suit, I, I don't know. Um, so we've, we've talked a lot about the, on the pod about Hugh's job security and this uh, fictitious rift between Hugh and the front office and that Hugh might actually be like fearful for his job. Michael, you seem to think that he acted as though he was afraid um, for his job in his like coaching decisions this week. At least that's something that Absolutely. you – Absolutely. It was terrible. I was sitting on my couch wondering what in the world is he doing? So from the very beginning of this season, when Hugh named Deshaun Kaiser the starter, he said, we're going to ride this rookie. We know there's going to be ups and downs, and he is going to be our guy. And then midway through the fifth game of the season, he decides to pull him in favor of Kevin Hogan. Like, that's completely opposite of what he was saying. And it just has me concerned. I really don't want anything to happen to this coach and front office combo we have going on right now i want us to stay the course but i'm worried that he's concerned about his job and his coaching 
in a desperate position trying to get a W to prove something. And I just feel like if he was playing the long game, he would have kept Deshaun Kaiser in there, and he didn't do that. And then making it worse was in the fourth quarter. We're down three points. We go for that fourth down. That didn't make any sense to me. His his rationale for going for it was that he believed in our defense, and he thought that we could get the one yard, and he believed in the offense, which that's fine. But if you feel that strongly about the way we're playing against the Jets, take your three points that are basically a gimme from right there, and then know with confidence that you're going to beat the team. And you're at least hedging your bets at that point, knowing that you're in a position of strength where the game is tied. Well, Instead, hashtag... went, he went for it, and we freaking lost the game because of it. Well, hashtag Shondor logic. The real reason that Hugh went went for it was because he didn't believe in Zane Gonzalez to be able to hit a 13-yard field goal. That's what Grandpa um, believes. In, in Zane Gonzalez's yeah. defense, he is 9 for 9 on extra points this season, so... <laughs> Um, no, uh-huh. Michael, I actually don't agree with you. I think that he is playing the long game, like over the course of the season, and we are going to go with Kaiser. But in the moment, on a Sunday when the game's close and he sees an opportunity to get a win, he sees the opportunity to get the win. When we went for it on fourth down, at that point, I think the Jets had 100 yards and change on total offense on the day. Like, from Hugh Jackson's perspective, it's a one yard. If we don't get it, they haven't driven 100 yards on the whole day. There's no way they're going all the way down the field. Now, in and hindsight, that looks terrible because of what happened. Yes, and they, they did. did. But I, you can't fault the decision based on the result. I think I would have kicked the field goal, but I understand what he was doing, and I don't necessarily know that it was the wrong decision. But the decision it almost... was the wrong decision. No. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion, that that was the wrong decision. Not when no, your I offense just... is terrible. I don't. I, so he can say that he's like confident in our offense. There's no way he's confident in our offense. Like he wanted to get those seven points while he could, because he wasn't oh sure we were going to be back down there. And if we go down there, we're going to throw touchdown or an interception. I mean, so it was the so I whenever I was watching it, I said you have to kick the field goal. Like, you have to kick the field goal. But I think what Q's mindset is, is that to keep this team growing and competing and fighting and challenging each other and getting better in this long-term view of what the Cleveland Browns are going to be in two to three years, to keep these young guys engaged, we have to get a win. We can't be demoralized like we were halfway through the Cincinnati game to where we're but not even trying way to get a win is to tie the game and put yourself in a strong position to win. Like, I think no, it but... was the right decision to kick the freaking field goal in that situation. That's the best chance to win the game. Yeah. So I think it was the right decision to kick the field goal too, but or they, like, he should have kicked the field goal, but it goes back to his decision to put Kevin Hogan in. And I don't think that he's necessarily giving up on Deshaun Kaiser just because he puts Kevin Hogan in in the second half. Because he's, I do agree with you he's looking towards the rest of the season so that we can all, as a team, gain some morale. And I think that maybe he was thinking the same thing when he went forward on fourth down. And it was, it obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. it was the wrong decision. I thought it was the wrong decision at the time. But I don't think that it's wrong to have that intent behind what he's doing. Thinking of okay, the team not- as a whole. Not to heap on some shade on Hugh Jackson, but what made that even more of a terrible decision is that he sent the field goal unit out, and then he called a timeout in order to go for it. 
if he hadn't have wasted that timeout, we would have been able to stop the clock at the end of the game and had a chance to win. Yeah, he's done that a he, couple times where he hasn't been extremely decisive and he needs to just choose some, especially in that situation where there's kind of two ways to go and, I mean, you just got to pick, pick, pick your choice. Pick one and go with it because yeah, I'd that. rather have that timeout than um, not later in the game. But he did, he did that before the at the end of the half of the Cincinnati game, the end yeah. of the first half. Um, all right, let's move on. We're, yeah. we're not going to agree on this. What? No, no, I'm angry, find... and I want to talk about it more. <laughs> I want to drive this into the ground. Michael is Let's wrong. Let's Hugh Jackson, he, even though we want to keep him as our head coach. Fire him, but I love him. Uh. <laughs> um, so I, I actually, um, Matthew, you wanted to talk about Zane Gonzalez's mixed field goals. Quick, hot take. What do you think about Zane Gonzalez? Do you think he's the worst kicker in the league? Should we drop him and pick up a free agent? Uh, no. So I looked it up. There's uh, actually four other kickers in the league right now who also have three missed field goals. I Zane Gonzalez has only attempted five field goals on the year, which is so bizarre, five games into the season. Um, other kickers have almost doubled that. So It's because we keep turning the ball yeah, over. Exactly. In the yeah, no. So, he doesn't get a chance. So, we don't get to fourth down. So part of it is not Zane Gonzalez's fault. I mean, obviously the, the short kick that he missed this week absolutely has got to be made like 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he also missed a 50-plus yarder. Um, that there's got to be a little leeway to, to give. I think we have a small yeah. sample size issue. I would be frustrated if we cut him because I don't know who else is out there um, who's going to come in and be better. I think we have to give him more than five kicks at, at the professional level before we decide yeah. um, whether he's good or not. Because if he makes the next 10 kicks, then he's 10 to 13 and he doesn't look so bad. Just like it would have been a mistake if we cut Cody Parkey right after he missed those first field goals in the Miami game. Exactly. Right? Like, so he like, missed three in that he game. He missed three in that game, and then he was great the rest, the rest of the season. season. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I still think that it's very interesting that we decided to go with the unproven rookie whenever we had a very like experienced and proven veteran. Cody Cody Parkey's missed two like, extra points drew this year. To an even even draw through camp, and then we decided to go with a guy that wasn't proven. That just didn't make any sense to me. So Cody Parkey's missed two extra points already this year. Oh. Two out of four, like. You can – it's one thing to make your field goals, but if you're not making the extra points, which are basically just gimmies, like I don't trust your process. I don't trust your setup that it's regular. Like you can have him all day long. Zane Gonzalez is 9 for 9 on extra points. He's got like the fundamentals down. He maybe just needs to get a little more experience, and he'll put them through. Yes. So there are some comments from friends that we need a little more dissension in our podcast. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening this week after the Jets. The divide between the brothers. Brotherhood becomes hatred. Nothing quite like a kicker <laughs> argument to get things going. <laughs> Oh my god. My my take is like okay, so why do you pick why do you pick the rookie versus Cody Parkey? I guess you like his leg strength a little bit more. There's a little bit more upside, but I wonder how much of it was money driven. Like he's definitely a heck of a lot cheaper than Cody Parkey is to keep on the roster. There's no way and we're that, pinching pennies at that level for kicker money. I wouldn't be so sure. I think it's a when you've got somebody drawing about Do we know? Even, I mean, it's a tiebreaker in my opinion. But we I mean, they're probably both making damn near the minimum, right? We picked Cody Parkey up in, like, mid-season last year. There's no way he's, like, making demands at that point as far as what he's pulling his salary. I thought so, too, but they actually signed him to a multi-year contract at the time that was worth, like, a decent amount of money. It was at least a couple million a year. All right. 
Um, All right, we can stop talking about kickers. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. Gonna, like, Come on, guys, get it throw. together. Be brothers. Say you're sorry, <laughs> Matthew. I, I apologize for nothing. I felt, <laughs> felt like I was very civil. Me either. All right, so there's this awesome podcast that we all three listened to this week. Um, it was on clevelandbrowns.com by Dougley Maurice and Jordan Cleveland.com. Cleveland.com. Oh, sorry, Cleveland.com. Misspoke. Go Browns, though. I want to throw it in there anytime I can. Um, so it was by Dougley Maurice and Jordan Zern, um, and they were just talking about the entire process of the rebuild. Basically, in the title, they were like, if you're not a fan of the rebuild, don't even listen to this podcast. And you've probably noticed from our tone um, that we're all three a fan of the rebuild. Um, what did you take away from that, Matthew? I mean, I think they're the first people that I've heard speak about what the Browns are doing and the strategy that they're taking and the front office moves in a way that is actually like comprehensive and makes sense. And yeah. it's taking the long-term view, which is what all of these front office moves are about, is taking the long-term view. I mean, you saw Sashi Brown and Paul De Podesta come out, and they um, basically said, "Like we're gonna, we're gonna struggle through this. We're gonna, we're looking towards 2018, 2019, 2020." Um, and inherent in that is that we don't really care about 2017. So, and that sounds bad, like, "Oh, we're tanking," but it's not. It's not. It's not exactly. Like but there's that. a there's a difference, and they they talked about this. There's a difference between trying to lose and not prioritizing winning. Like, nobody on this team is trying to lose. Yeah. We're, we're just not really worried about winning right now. We're um, about developing as far as the, talent. As far as the front office is yeah. concerned, the players on the field every single Sunday are trying to win. Hugh, Hugh Jackson is, is trying, trying to, to win. win. And that, they absolutely should be. That's their job. Yeah. Um, the front office is making their decisions not prioritizing winning in 2017. And it's like a huge bonus if they do start winning right now. That If, if, our, if our young talent is, like, putting up a fight and being able to stand up against some of the giants in the league, like the Steelers, like they did in week one, like the, well, not the jets, the jets suck, but we, (laughs) but like the thing is, is we can see that the pieces are there and that our uh, skill positions are getting put into place. And that where these, these people that we have are growing and getting better. And I think that that's what they're prioritizing is player development. Yeah. So, Mark, you say like it's a huge bonus if we win. I think I completely disagree. I think it's a huge bonus if we're showing that growth and we're not winning, because which is exactly what's happening right now. And Browns fans just need to understand this. And it's like the hardest possible thing to do, because I guarantee you I am just as mad and frustrated as you are on Sundays. But the fact that we're showing growth on the field, which anybody that watched last year's team versus this year's team can tell that we are a better football team from top to bottom. If you close your eyes during the Cincinnati game, yes. Aside from the Cincinnati game, yes. If you pretend that didn't happen, then absolutely. But we're clearly a better team, and we haven't put the wins in. But guess what? That's going to benefit us in the long term because we're going to be able to get more better talent out of the draft. Like, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like, where the Jets are right now actually sucks. They're yeah. trying to tank. They tried to gut their roster, <laughs> and they're squeaking out these wins. And now they've got three wins, and I don't see a situation where the Browns are catching them in win total. We're going to be picking ahead of them, and they they need a quarterback just as desperately as we do. It's, and so they're they, really they need a quarterback. The they need a quarterback worse than anybody in the league. And so I was thinking about this. Like, if you had to take the Jets situation or the Browns situation Ugh. right now, 
I think everybody should be taking the Browns situation. Oh, for like sure. looking at the talent that they, the young talent, like unproven talent that they have. I'm banking on the Jets trading for the Browns' number one overall pick, a King's ransom, and then the bad Jets team gives us their first round picks for the next two years. And we continue to have this situation where we have two first round picks every single year. I love, there's a lot of people that um, hate on the accumulating draft picks mentality. There's that argument that pisses me off to no end. Like, you gotta pick players. You gotta pick players. Everyone said that last draft. We picked three players in the first round. Three. We picked three players. Like, I just, I, yeah. don't, even, I don't even understand the argument of we're not picking players. We are. We're picking a ton of players, and that's the whole point. Yeah. So the reason the Browns have been bad for 20 years is that we have not been drafting well. Yeah. And we keep turning over coaches, and there's no consistency. And this front office recognizes that, and they recognize the reason we're not drafting well is because the draft is kind of freaking random. It's pretty tough. Nobody has – even the Patriots have not even proved to be better at drafting players than anybody else in the league. So this front office is leaning into that and saying, we don't think we're any smarter than anybody. We don't think we can evaluate talent better than anybody. So we're just going to get the most opportunities, and somebody's going to hit. And that's proven – to be the right scenario in other sports in baseball for example if you're an indians fan and you're pumped about this team think back to three years ago when this team was terrible we like we had just signed terry francona we we weren't going anywhere look at all the best players on this team we have bauer carrasco and kluber um brantley who we all got from trading away jose ramirez well we drafted him or signed him but um, we Bauer, Carrasco, and Kluber and Brantley were all acquired by trading away veteran players. We drafted young talent like Lindor and Jose Ramirez and gave them time to develop. Like two years ago, Jose Ramirez was hitting 219 on this roster, and he looked like nobody, and now he's an MVP candidate. This is a baseball mentality brought into football, which blows all these football people's minds because well, for some reason a, football so, hasn't embraced this at all. It's so easy. It's the simplest. It's literally not even, it's not even that smart. Like, people are like, oh, these, like, numbers guys. Like, oh, they're so genius. It's It's kind of common sense. (laughs) No, you have more picks. You're more likely to pick good players. It's literally the dumbest, most common sense thing that you could possibly do. And the fact that people don't understand it infuriates me. I can't even have a conversation (laughs) or watch Bill Polian talk on ESPN without (laughs) blowing a freaking gasket. My goodness. Didn't Bill Bullion say he was going to draft Ryan Leaf, but he was late to a meeting? Yes, no, that's exactly what he said. He's like, we were going to, honestly, from our talent evaluators, Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning were were about the same caliber, and we we liked them both equally, but Ryan showed up late to the meeting, so we decided to go with Peyton. He's like, that was the biggest. The biggest success of his career was was a mistake by Ryan Leaf. (laughs) It's amazing. It's so good. But, like, so we're seeing this conversation, though, going on, like, against Sashi Brown and the whole front office mentality that we've got right now because we're seeing some short-term success on the field with some of the picks that we, like, decided to pass on. So Deshaun Watson, we passed on him because we traded with Houston. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the reality of that situation is did we really pass on Deshaun Watson? Or did we see greater value in the multiple picks 
and being able to get somebody yeah. later on in the draft. Exactly. I just think it's like way too early to be having these evaluations, but everybody that watches the NFL only cares about the here and now. And so mm-hmm. the biggest key to this whole rebuild is whether Jimmy Haslam can just hold back and watch the thing play out like he said he was going to. Yep. Yep. And it's it's each of those decisions identifying where the value lies. And like the value we got out of Deshaun Kaiser drafting him in the second round is so much higher than spending what the 13th pick on Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Like, and now that you say that, now that you say that, do you remember like our mindset whenever we drafted Deshaun Kaiser in the like late half of the second round? It was like, oh, we'll see yeah, what he turns into. He, yeah, he was still on the board. I guess, you know, he was kind of right up there in the conversation with the rest of these quarterbacks. That makes sense. He might actually suck like most of us think, but maybe he's something. Let's just find out. It's worth a try. And now the narrative is completely flipped where everyone thinks that the Browns are like hedging all of their bets on Deshaun Kaiser and he is the answer when that clearly was never the case at all. If we were trying to like swing big for a quarterback in this year's draft, we would have taken someone much earlier. Yeah, but and we have they five... saw the value and they're going to ride Kaiser and see if he is the answer. And we'll see if he proves to be or isn't. Well, but right now it's way too early to tell. Yeah. No, I agree. And we if we want to if Kaiser's not the answer and we want to draft a quarterback this year in what's been touted as a quarterback heavy class, then we have the clout to do that. I mean, we have five picks in the first two rounds. And hopefully we yep. beat the Texans next week and keep their season down in the dumps. Wouldn't well, that certainly, be a dream? I mean, I hate to celebrate injuries, but I am very interested to see how it affects the Texans' record now that Merciless and J.J. Watt appear to be out with injuries. I don't mm-hmm. know how long Merciless's is, but it He's seems out for the like year. J.J.'s they, out the They year. announced both of them are out for the year. So wow. that has to bode well for those two picks that we're probably going to get. And if that defense isn't stopping people and there's more pressure on Deshaun Watson, he might not look like the golden boy throughout the whole rest of the season. We'll their, see. Their wide receiver talent is pretty good, though. I like Deshaun Watson's just tossing it up there, and those wide receivers are making plays. Well, it's a I lot mean, better than rolling out Bryce Treggs and uh, Richard Higgins. <laughs> yeah, let's, that, that's an understatement. I mean, like, Deshaun Watson was like – throwing about 50% completion percentage, and he had those five touchdowns. Like he was like 16 for 34 or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Remember the exact stats. Um, but we can we can go on. Did one of you guys watch that uh, Texans game? Yeah, I watched do we it. Do we want to do a preview of that um, moving into next week? Yeah, so moving into next week, we got we have the Texans, which um, kind of feels like a big game for us in our, our draft pick status, but really it doesn't matter because <laughs> – one of us is going to move up and one of us is going to drop regardless <laughs> of, of the results. So that's true. Um, so I, I would obviously love to, to win a game and have the Texans pick be the, the first overall pick and us be a little better, but we'll see. Um, this game uh, on Sunday Night Football, really the story of this game was the J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless injuries. Um, the Chiefs ended up winning 42-34. to 34. Um, The Texans continued to, to put up some points behind – let me say it, five Deshaun Watson passing touchdowns, wow. which is a stunning number. I think it's the second week in a row he's accounted for five touchdowns. That's tied for the rookie record. Yes. Two weeks in a row. Two Good weeks for in him. a row. Good um, for him. And so that, that raw production like can't be ignored, but when I was watching this game, I couldn't help but think that Deshaun Watson is just getting so fortunate. There was three or four passes that were very interceptable that the Chiefs did not take advantage of, um, not to mention – 
two of his long touchdowns were basically just heaves um, up into the end zone. One to Will receivers made plays. The one to Will Fuller, if the it's defender – it, it was a fine throw, but it was behind Will Fuller, and if the defender had made a play, the defender was trailing on the play. If he had seen the ball, he would have intercepted it easily, but he wasn't playing the ball. The, the second one, the one at the end of the game to Hopkins, he threw it into like – quadruple coverage and Hopkins is just a monster. So I, I so, mean, I guess he knows Hopkins just, is a monster. Like, literally, yeah. I mean, there were literally zeros on the clock, right? Like, so no, there was, th- there was three minutes. There was three minutes left. So, um, so what I'm hearing is that we got the unlucky Deshaun and Houston got the lucky Deshaun. Yeah, no. So, so I mean, basically <laughs> like that's my takeaway. I, I think the Browns have played better than the Owen five record that, we show, I mean, we've yeah. had some untimely turnovers, and the, the Texans have been kind of the complete opposite of that, where they're kind of getting all the, the lucky bounces and putting up all these points. Obviously, their injury situation is terribly unfortunate. Yeah. And I, I, and I wouldn't we, trade with them if I had the opportunity. And last but, season, they were like, what, 28th in like DVOA <clears throat> for like expected. Um, they yeah. performed way better than they should have last year as far as record is concerned. Yeah, True. so um, I it'll be very interesting to see the Texans without their defense. I mean, they're I think they're now missing three of their best four defenders, if you include Brian Cushing and his uh, BED suspension. How many of those has he had? <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how much grace do you get for juicing in the well, NFL? Well, it's only ten, <laughs> it's only ten games, so they like, like kind of encourage it. I think. Um, I wish so that we'll that is what Josh Gordon was doing. I wish he was injecting himself with steroids yeah, instead I of mean, smoking a little dope. Yeah, I mean, he would have served much less time. Yeah. Uh, so um, it'll be interesting. The, the Chiefs still look really good. Yeah, Alec, Alex Smith looks like a different quarterback. Like, he looks like super Alex Smith. Like, he's still so Matthew, protecting the ball and doing that. But hucking the ball downfield. Matthew, is there a path for the Browns to beat the Texans next week? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we shut down the run and force Deshaun Watson to make throws um, and actually take advantage of the interceptable throws that he's chucking up there, I, th- I think we can beat the Texans. Um, especially because I don't know what the Texans' defense is going to look like. We might have an opportunity to put up a couple points. At what point does this pod just become insanity? Absolutely we can win next week. There's, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's an easy path to victory next week. No well, doubt in my mind. Here's the thing. I am like almost sick to my stomach watching what I'm reading on Twitter about the Cleveland Browns. I'm hearing people talking about Peyton Manning being the savior of our franchise. I'm seeing all of these ridiculous storylines and it's like, it's an immediate knee jerk reaction to the fact that we look terrible in select plays on the field, but everyone's not taking that bigger picture view of the fact that we're actually a lot better than we have been yes. in recent years. So I wanted some stats to back this up, so I actually went and looked at the rankings. Nice. And these are not necessarily the best metrics to use, but in a general sense... Hey, whatever fits your narrative, yardage, Michael. Whatever fits your narrative, just throw it in there. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So if you just look at yardage based on last year to this year, yards per game, last year... Yes, the wait, no, were, no, no. Sorry, Michael. I just beat Matthew in fantasy. I just want to... Everybody on listening to the pod, you need to know Kyle Rudolph just got a touchdown. See you later, Matthew. Live Congratulations. Thank you. Well, you can't win in any of our picks, so I'm glad that you have something <laughs> in your life that you can feel good about. 
<laughs> okay, sorry, Michael. I really am sorry. Keep going. The point I was trying to make was the Browns are a heck of a lot better, and the basic metrics back that up. Mm-hmm. If you look at last year, we were 31st in the league in total yards per game given up defensively at 392 yards per game. This year, we're fifth in the entire NFL. Wow. Fifth in yards per game. That's amazing. 304 yards per game. No standard Browns fan actually wants to believe that that's true. And then offensively, we're doing it a little bit better, too. We were 30th in the league in yards per game, which is just atrocious. I mean, we were 31st yeah. in defense and 30th in offense. <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't get a lot worse. One in 15 made sense. Yeah. And we're ranked 21st so far this year. Like, we're moving the ball, That's and we're awesome. just turning the ball over at the most yeah. inopportune times. Yeah. But we're, like, we've had a lot of yards per game. We've outgained the Jets. We outgained, not the Bengals. <clears throat> we outgained the Colts. We outgained the Ravens. Yeah. And so I, I just want people to take a deep breath and realize that the sky is not falling. This is good. And that there are steps being taken. And honestly, even though we are not getting Ws, like – that serves us better in the long run because we weren't trying to win the Super Bowl this year anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to take that perspective, but I think it's what our front office is doing and it's what the fans should and what we need to constantly remember, even though in the moment it's so tough to not be so frustrated that we lost by three again. Oh, anyway, and we're in a tough division. Um, you guys watched the divisional games. Michael, you watched the Steelers um, get trounced on by your local team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, everyone's very excited about the Jaguars. Six interceptions. So we'll go through a quick recap of that. Yeah, it was a pretty simple game, to be perfectly honest. It was slow in the first half. Uh, basically, a field position game. Seven to six, Jags took a lead. And then the turnovers from Big Ben just piled on top of each other. Literally, he Good. threw four interceptions in the second half. Yes. Some of them were um, credit to the Jags' defense, making some phenomenal plays. But um, he just got desperate by the end of the game. And um, they ended up sealing the victory with a long Leonard Fournette run, and they walked away with a 30-9 to victory. It was honestly the worst I think I've ever seen Big Ben in any one game. He threw 55 times. And five of those, as I mentioned, were interceptions. Wow. So I don't know if it gets a whole lot worse for uh, Steeler Nation. So in the postgame press conference, Big Ben had some interesting things to say. He, he questioned he, like openly to the media whether he still had it. He, he made some reference to that. Did it look like he had lost it, or were these just great plays by the defense? If you look at each individual interception, you can, ima- you can understand how it happened. One of them, Juju Smith-Schuster literally fell down, and he threw to the spot that he was supposed to be, and it looked like a just terrible interception, but the receiver just fell down. The first one, actually, in the first half was an incredible play by Jalen Ramsey. Like, you're not even mad that Big Ben threw the, threw the pass. He put it right where it needed to be, Local and Ramsey Brentwood made Academy a perfect product. play. And then um, there was a few more. Like, he got hit and pressured on one of them. Um, I mean, really, honestly, I wouldn't say that it was on Big Ben as much as the Jags defense just looking phenomenal. Okay. Um, Yeah, okay, so that's good. So we're going to have to play the Jags this year. We're obviously going to struggle. The Jags defense is finally becoming what, on paper, they looked like they could be. Um, hopefully that will be the Browns in a few years. Um, so, Matthew, you watched the uh, Ravens game. What did you see? Yeah, the Ravens game. Um, they were playing the 
the Raiders without Derek Carr. And the Raiders without Derek Carr are a pretty terrible team because they're trotting out EJ Manuel. Um, EJ Manuel. Which was terrible. It was almost, this game was 30-17 to 17 Ravens, but it was almost unwatchable. The Ravens scored 14 points in the first four minutes, and basically it just coasted from there. Um, <laughs> the, the Ravens are still struggling to stop the run. Um, fortunately for them, they were up for most of the game, and the Raiders weren't really trying to run mm-hmm. the ball. Um, Raiders really scored just on some long um, breakdown plays, but um, ultimately the Ravens just kind of coasted through this game. If the Raiders yeah. are probably so, the Raiders are probably uh, a bottom ten team in the NFL, without especially Derek without Carr. Derek Carr. Yeah. 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 So here's my question for you on that game. I, the Ravens' offenses look terrible. How in the world did they get those two touchdowns on, on the, the board? S- on the second drive, they had an interception. They returned all the way back to, like, what, yeah. the 20 no. or something like that? Well, it was a Jimmy Smith f- returned a fumble. Oh, that's what um, it was. Yeah, Jared Cook got stripped, and gotcha. Jimmy Smith returned it. Um, so, I mean, the defensive score was great. Um, they were running the ball pretty well. Um, Buck Allen had a touchdown. Um the Raiders, the Raiders' defense isn't good. Like outside yeah, they have of Cleo one good Mack, player, and that's they're, it. They're they're pretty terrible. So who I if wanted, you can isolate that, I wanted Cleo you're, you're so going to be just fine. All right, all right. So that's uh, I I have to make a confession to you, podcast listeners. I was supposed to watch the Cincinnati game, but I was busy. I didn't have time to do it. So I, who cares about Cincinnati anyway? Shame. Yeah. Shame. Yeah. Shame. No, Mark. Shame. I thought we said we were going to celebrate what you were actually doing today. All right, yeah, I'll take some celebration from you. Yeah, on, pour it on, man. Mark, Mark had an interview. He might actually be getting a real grown-up job. This, this could be a positive thing. Yeah, this podcast hasn't really paid the bills like we hope so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not it's yet. Funny. We haven't collected any checks. I know. I think I think we're still in the red. We're still. Yeah, those stickers cost a lot of money. We're still <laughs> went, waiting for the Venmo payments from you, the listeners. My name is <laughs> at Mark <My> <laughs> If you make one dollar on this <laughs> podcast, uh, I will. Be, oh my goodness! I don't even know what I'll do. I actually don't know if that's. I might even post balance. a video of me throwing the football. If if you make a dollar off of this podcast, yeah, that's gonna be the running joke. We're always gonna promise a video of Michael throwing the football. Yeah, which which will happen eventually. All right, let's move on to uh, the final segment of the day. We are going to bet or pick, make our picks for the. Uh, lines of the primetime games michael you still got that trusty excel spreadsheet there this excel spreadsheet is alive and well good um but it doesn't reflect a very good record for you mark Coon. yeah i know the coin the coin will do me do me good soon you went to sample size you went to the coin strategy you went to the coin strategy and proceeded to lose all three of your picks last week hey well it's um, a sample size problem we need but a just like Zane Gonzalez. Yeah, just like Zane Gonzalez. <laughs> so, Michael, you just don't understand samples. Um, I don't think you understand football because you've only picked. <laughs> That's fair. Fair point. Because <laughs> you've only picked twenty percent of your picks accurately. Now, Matthew and I, despite the fact we keep picking the Browns, myself especially, are on the positive. If we were in Vegas, we'd be making money right now. We're both at fifty-three percent and are tied on the season. I picked the Jets last week, right? Yeah, you did. That worked in your favor. It did. Wait, wait, hold on a second. I want to go back to this because I want that Venmo money. I, I, <laughs> I, I, pulled, I pulled it up, and my Venmo account name actually is at Mark, M-A-R-K, dash, Kuhn, K-U-H-N, dash, two. 
Once again, that's at Mark, M-A-R-K, dash, Kuhn, K-U-H-N, dash, two. Be sure to send your money directly to that, and I will not share it with my brothers. All right. This it will is, be all this mine. Is gonna be like a nice, <laughs> this is going to be a great social experiment. And I'll, so I'll, I'll, I will tell you what I the most money <laughs> to Mark on, get the shout out. on Venmo. Get the shout we'll out. We'll get the very first giveaway from our first sponsor. That's I'm true. saying it right here. Whoever gives the most money to Mark on Venmo gets the first giveaway from our first sponsor. This is the best off the hat idea I've ever had. Um, <laughs> be sure to send me the money. Yeah, just just be outlandish with how much money you send. Just like really. <laughs> All right, Joel Osteen, reel it in here. Come on. <laughs> we're taking we're taking this podcast in a whole different direction. All right, I'm sorry. That was fun for me, but let's get back on topic. Um, All right, so let's take a look at this week's game. Look at the lines. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the Thursday night matchup heading up this week is the Philadelphia Eagles facing the Carolina Panthers in Charlotte, with the Panthers favored by three. So Matthew, I'm gonna toss this one to you. Who do you think comes on out on top there? Um, the Panthers have had a really easy schedule so far, and when they've faced a good defense, they've struggled to put up points. I think I've got to go with Philadelphia in this. Philly, Mark. All right, trusty coin flip coming up. Heads will be the favorite. And it's tails. I think Philly's a so. clear choice. You're really right, Matthew. Carson Wentz, <laughs> he's a great quarterback, and we really should have drafted him. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have traded back. Fantastic. So, Matthew, you and I do not agree on this one. I think that I've seen Carolina get better and better every week. And honestly, I think both these teams are very, very even. I could see it going either way, but I'm just going to pick the home team and go with Carolina in this particular game. Which leads us to the Sunday night game, which is a huge line. Dang. The defeated New York Jet Giants. The Giants have Facing no wide the receivers. Broncos. Yeah, they're all hurt. Literally. Did you see? Do you see To and Ocho Cinco both, both said, tweeted the Giants? Both tweeted the Giants and said they wanted to be signed onto the Giants roster because they all got hurt. All the wide receivers got hurt. That's incredible, and I think they should do it because they have to be better. That would than be the a, other that guys. would be so fun to watch the winless Giants yeah. with To and Ocho Cinco on and the, the and the new <laughs> celebration rules. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so be entertaining. Uh, a shout out to Odell Beckham Jr. Um, our weekly shout out. He broke his ankle, right? And I don't know how we're gonna find a way to talk about him next week, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Broncos are actually favored by twelve points in this game. Um, and to me, that's crazy. The Giants are a bad team, but I don't think they're like a miserable team where they're gonna be competing with us for the first pick in the draft. Like their defense has a good bit of talent. And I'm not sure what they're going to do on offense, but 12 points is just too much for me to be comfortable with, so I'm picking the Giants. Yeah, they're not that bad. I really want to pick the Giants, but we'll see what the coin says. No, you know, it really has to be the Giants. I agree. I mean, it's just a lot. It's The 12 points is just too much. All right, here's the thing. The Giants have cannot run the football, and their top four receivers are injured and not playing this game. But Eli Manning's so good. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I I, the, against the Broncos defense, I'm not sure the Giants are going to score three points. So I'm going Broncos. He goes with Denver. All right. I'm liking this. Matthew and I both the, have opposite picks. It's my chance points? to 
take a leg up this week. Same way they've been doing all year. Trevor Simeon's been great so far this year, and C.J. Anderson's been running the ball. C.J. Anderson has been really good. All right, so here we go. This leads us to what everyone's been waiting for, our picks for Cleveland at Houston, where the Texans are favored by nine and a half points. So I want to hear from both of you what your keys to the game are and then put your rational hat on and make a pick as to whether the Browns will cover those nine and a half points or not. All right. I think the keys to the game is how our secondary plays. It's actually exactly what Matthew was saying earlier. If our secondary uh, is able to make the plays that I know they're capable of, if uh, McCordy and Taylor can play well and get a few interceptions, I know that our run defense is going to be able to stop the Texans run offense. So I'm not worried about that. It's just going to be whether we can stop them from getting those big chunk yards down the field, which I am optimistic about because that's what Greg Williams' focus has always been, is not letting them chuck the ball down the field and get huge chunk yardage. That's what we're focused on. And if we can do that and execute in that, then we'll be able to stay within those nine and a half points. But I'm going to have to say that we won't. It won't even, <laughs> it won't even be close. And we're going to lose by more than 10. Mark and the coin select Houston to cover the nine and a half points. Uh, Matthew, what do you have to say? Yeah, I'm going to say that I think this line's going to move now with the J.J. Watt and with the merciless injuries. Um, I think the key to this game is getting a pass rush on Deshaun Watson. I think we're going to stop the run just fine. we got to be able to get a pass rush with four or five without sending any more than that. Um, and we can put up points. And I think we're definitely going to be within nine and a half. So I'm going to take the Browns. Matthew with the Browns. Matthew, we actually agree on this game this week. Um, to me, I kind of agree with you. The key is going to be containing Deshaun Watson. It seems like they like to move him outside the pocket quite a bit and let him make some plays on the run. And I'm hoping that the Cleveland Browns are the team that finally starts to expose him a little bit for his limitations. He's been making some big plays in the right times. But um, I'm thinking maybe a pick six. It's about time. Um, would be nice if we could get a defensive score and actually come out on the positive end of the turnover differential in this Whoa, game. I ambitious. Think, I think we pull out the W. Ambitious. I'm going with the Browns. Nice. All right. Go Browns. We'll see. We'll see if the coin's right or if Matthew and Michael are right. Uh, tune in next week to check it out. All right. That's going to be our podcast for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers or send us an email and let us know what you think, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. Go on our podcast feed on iTunes, leave a review, um, and we'd love and to tell your friends that our grandpa is ridiculous. Yeah, tell our friends that our grandpa doesn't want to shoot Zane Gonzalez. I really hope nothing, hap- <laughs> I really hope nothing happens to him. <laughs> All, right. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Go Browns. Go Trav. Go Trav.